the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. A lot to get to here on a Monday. We are just waiting a plumes of white smoke out of the Big Ten trying to figure out what's next. We'll try and diagnose what our takeaways are from a weekend and an early week so far of reporting from uh, the things that are going on behind the scenes right there. We've got uh, to check in on the pulse of Knoll Nation. Danny, we will get to that here in a little bit, trying to diagnose what's going on. We've got some opt-outs to get to. We've got an opt-in little bit of news that's been breaking here in the last little bit. Uh, and then finally, uh, an early week three look ahead one game storyline or betting line that has our eye as we start to get through the week. But uh, as he is looking so sharp joining us here, I do want to start with uh, addressing the breaking news of the moment uh, on CBS Sports HQ. We had four-star Jabril McNeil committing to Oregon. The Barton, the crystal ball had things lined up in the direction that the Ducks were a leader. We got a nice little, you know, Mario Cristobal's got the last dance gif, you know, of the, of the shrug shoulder right there. Like him being out there celebrating it. But, you know, what'd you, what do you think about breaking down McNeil, ranking him? And uh, what does it say about Oregon's class? Now what, number three in the country? Yeah, uh, number three in the country. I didn't even realize that um, until the commitment. I, I guess I just sort of hadn't checked the rankings recently. But yeah, they're up to number three. Um, that's that's pretty crazy. And I think this was this was a pretty strong statement by the Ducks for a couple of reasons. One is they went down to North Carolina, landed a commitment out of a player whose brother plays for NC State, and. And, and this is their fourth consecutive class with at least one out of North Carolina. And if you go to 24-7 Sports, you look at their commit list under Mario Cristobal, every year, the commit list, and you see like on the, on the, the, the margin there, you, you can see by state where the, where the commits come from. And every year, that list starts to get a little bigger. Starts to get a little bigger, a little bigger. Like he just, the national appeal is is growing. They're leaning into a national approach and I mean, really good player, four-star guy, ton of upside. Um, but you know, to me, the story is, is just the, the effort that this program puts into recruiting. Interesting. You know, I stuff. can't help but notice that number two right now in the class rankings is Ohio state. Number three is Oregon. So two of the top three are programs that are not currently playing football this fall. So yeah. is there a new market inefficiency not playing is giving the coaches <laughs> more time to recruit? That, that was a, that, like, that was a theory that I had in this early on is like, well, 
um, you know, aren't they, they're not playing and these other coaches are game planning all week long. Like they, they're going to be recruiting more than ever. And, and we'll see if that holds. Um, because I guess at some point, I don't know. I mean, if they play in the fall, then yeah, I mean, like for instance, if, if the PAC 12 plays and starts in January, then that's going to be the time when the PAC 12 can't recruit and right. the, you know, everyone else can. So maybe it circles back around, but if, I don't know, maybe the, the, it's, it's it's not such a bad deal right now from strictly a recruiting perspective, I think. Well, I would also argue that Oregon, especially Oregon under Mario Cristobal, is not the typical Pac-12 recruiting profile. No. Yeah, like no. you, you start to make yourself more of a national player. You're playing a different game right there. True. Uh, all right. I do think it's interesting what Tom pointed out, though, that – the my initial thought process was, oh, this is going to kill the Big Ten and it's going to kill the Pac-12. And clearly, it's not yet. And I think it will take time to see how this plays out. This was my initial hunch. I, yeah, I I think like I didn't think it would hurt in the short term, but I I warmed up to the idea that if they don't play until the spring, and we'll talk about that, but if they don't play till the spring, so like we'll just say Pac-12. If Pac-12 doesn't play till January then um, I think the long-term implications are greater than the short-term implications. And we'll, you know, that's obviously to be determined. So speaking of right now, let's just, let's do straw poll right now. Do we think that the big 10 is going to be playing football before the end of October? I vote, I vote uh, yes. Not not what be. you want, but what no, you. No, I'm saying yeah. yeah no, I, I, my 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 vote, my tally, my expectation. If I have to pick, if I take, if we're taking the over under, and the total is November first. I'm taking the under. I'm taking October. I'm taking the over. You think it's? I'm a- thinking November at the earliest, and I don't even know if it'll be then. Okay. If you would have asked me yesterday, uh, Sunday. With all, like, there was a lot of optimism out there. I was starting to feel pretty good. I would have said, man, this thing is real. And then, you know, the news today, Sean Wade opts out at Ohio State. You know, Dan Patrick, who's been all over this and has been, you know, reporting a lot of, you know, someone told him this, someone told him that. I I just, I think it's all smoke and mirrors. I really have. But then there's a real meeting that's taking place. So I'm like, maybe there is. But... I just, I, I'm going to take the over. I don't think it's happening before and, November. And I hope I'm wrong. Oh, no, go ahead. You go first, well, Barton. Well, even da- like Dan Pack- Patrick's reporting, even that wasn't, it w- he was just saying that not all the teams would be involved, right? Like he wasn't, he wasn't refuting the idea that they could play in October or did I miss, was he? He did. You're correct. But I thought there was a policy that they were either all in or all out. Like yeah, they'll be all in. Yeah. If, so that's, if they come back, everybody's going to play. Yeah. So that's what I was. There's just a lot of confusion. There's just, and it's again, like if they don't switch course, I mean, I don't, I don't they're going to look bad no matter what. The Big Ten just looks comical at this point. The lack of leadership, the lack of continuity. And I get it, but man, is it really revealed? I think Kevin Warren's, you know, he's a rookie on the job. And unfortunately, he's taken a lot of the brunt of the criticism because I don't think it's his fault, all of this. But, it just makes the Big Ten look comical, the back and forth and the rumors that are floating. They're, let's be honest, they're put out by the coaches yeah. and the coaches' agents. Yeah, so that's, that's what I was about to bring up. Like, we have to think, 
whether it's Dan Patrick or it's who it's anybody of us in this industry, who who are we more likely to be talking to? Coaches and ADs or school presidents. So when you see these reports coming from reporters saying, hey, there's optimism within the Big Ten that they're going to be coming back in October, they were probably talking to a coach who wants to play. Every single coach in the Big Ten wants to play. I don't think there's a single one of them that's like, nah, let's 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 take the fall off. I'm fine with it. I can play in January. So that's kind of I have to think kind of skewing what the reports are that we're getting from people about the Big Ten. I don't think anybody's asking school presidents because they don't have the school president's numbers or the ones that do. Hell, Jim Harbaugh can't get an answer from Michigan school president. What makes me think a Michigan Daily student is going to get an answer from Michigan's president on it? So I think that is kind of skewing it, and I think that's kind of led to there being more optimism about the season coming back. But personally, when I look at it, when I think of what they were looking at to make the decision – I don't know how much has changed since they made that decision, which I think was what, like exactly a month ago, August 11th. Yeah. So just a little over a month ago, I don't know. It's to me, it was funny on Saturday when like these reports first started coming out, like, Hey, there's going to be a vote tomorrow. Things are headed in the right direction. Like, when that news was coming out, we were also getting our third game of the week on Saturday alone for next week's games postponed. A couple minutes after that came out, Georgia Southern announced it was sitting 33 players because of contact tracing and all that kind of stuff. Oklahoma, reporters from the game that we couldn't watch who were, you know, on pay-per-view. Oklahoma beat reporters having a count saying they thought there were upwards of 20 players who weren't available. So all this is going on. And at the same time, hey, the Big Ten sees no reason not to do this. Everything's looking good. They're going to be coming back. It's like, I'm not so sure, but, but we'll see. I, but I would say to counter that, you are seeing games being played. And, you know, there isn't a massive backlash and there isn't cries to say, shut it down now. They've set a tone and the Big 12 and the ACC and to be, you know, the SEC, once they start up, they've said, we're moving forward. We've got our eyes on the goal and we are not deviating. And I think that is impactful for the Big Ten decision makers to maybe notice that. But now I'm trying to talk myself into being optimistic again. Yeah, I, <laughs> but, I want them so, to come back. I know that. I just don't. I'm just not confident they will, at least not what, this fall. What did I miss between – because my underpick is based on all the Sunday optimism reporting. All the doom and gloom reports had suddenly shift – shifted into like this, you know, positive poly reports and like <laughs> I what what happened today? Like what, we what, were, what was the report on this? Today? We the, were awash in the glow of having football yeah. and we had power five. So everybody was like, hey, it's happening. The big ten are gonna be coming soon. And then there was supposed to be a vote yesterday. No vote. So I the no vote go ahead. Joe, go ahead. Jeff. Well I, yeah. I'm willing to think that university presidents can change their mind they may say it's because of the availability of uh, rapid results testing. Like, that's going to be the claim, right? If the Big Ten comes back, that is the number one thing they point to. It's like, well, we didn't know that we were going to have this rapid results testing, and now we feel better. And, you know, we're going to take notes from what the Big 12's doing with the EKG monitoring, because then they're going to get asked about myocarditis. And so they're going to say, we saw these other leagues, we, we replicated some of the things that they were doing. And that's what they're going to say. But university presidents do serve at the pleasure of Board of Regents. No, they have like bosses in this scenario. And while we talked about the peer pressure within academia uh, among the university presidents, there is also some pressure from board of regents. And so if the power players within the university community 
have continued to just apply a little bit of pressure, I'm willing to think that some of these university presidents are changing their mind. Now to the Dan Patrick report, Wisconsin Chancellor Rebecca Blank today on a teleconference when asked about Big Ten football. I will say we're all going to move together in the Big Ten. We're all going to play or not if we possibly can. This isn't going to be a school-by-school thing. So can you get all of these schools together, all to agree to get this thing going in a month? I'm going to take the over. And, so it's, so this is like a, you know, you're like, you're like a jury, and if there's like one person holding out in the jury room, yeah. then it's, and it needs to be like a six. It needs to be nine yes, yeses for it to happen. And we already know of one no for sure. Rutgers as president has said he's not changing his vote already. He's on like the record saying, I'm not changing my vote. And another thing we need to consider, like Wisconsin just had to shut down its football program. Because of COVID stuff, they've literally shut down for a few weeks. There are other schools in the Big Ten who have had to shut down athletic programs in the last week because of this stuff. Like in the Midwest, the numbers haven't been great the last couple of weeks. I don't see the school presidents looking around at a number of their programs who literally can't practice right now saying, yeah, now's the time to vote to go forward. I just don't see it. Here was here was my shift, Barton, because I was like you yesterday, fired up all <laughs> you know, Saturday watching the Big Ten coaches go on game day and be like, Yeah. Um, Sean Wade, when he opted out today, I agree. His, think about it. His dad, yeah. Randy Wade, was one of the mm-hmm. most vocal proponents, went he was one of the people who led the charge to go to Chicago to protest in front of the Big Ten offices and was saying, We're we want to play. And when I when I saw that, I was like, man, I feel like he knows something that we don't. And he can always change his mind, as we'll get to in a little bit. Like yeah. we've seen players opt back in. Maybe that's a tactic that he's taken and try to put more pressure on it. But when I saw that, I just, it just hit home a little bit. Like, ooh, I wonder if he's getting the real story as opposed to all of us or getting the optimistic viewpoints of, hey, they can do this. They can do this. I don't know. I agree with that. I, that that is I, that is legitimately. Um, in the category of bad news, if you were hoping for football, because agree, like he probably has, he's gotten a l- little bit of info. Maybe we don't, but, but I also wonder, like it's probably smart of him to opt out right now and then assess the situation, assess what ruling comes down because he, like you said, he can always opt back in. He can, and, and, and yet I feel like that'd be a bad look if they said, all right, football is coming. It's here. And then he decides to opt out. What, what I sort of took the opt-out as as much as anything from Sean Wade is not necessarily that he didn't think football was going to happen or he heard football wasn't going to happen, but more of perhaps the stipulations that might be set up and, and what the season actually looks like when it starts, how many games there are. Like maybe some of that was getting to him and he was like, eh, I'm not feeling like a seven-game season. Like I'll, I'll, I'll start training. Like uh, that, that, that strikes me as maybe, and that's a, obviously just a, a guess, but like a, that, that wouldn't surprise me if that's, that informed his decision in some way. Is this rush all to try and get in the playoff? I think so. Isn't it? I, yeah. And like I, it. and honestly, don't know. Everybody cover your ears. Who cares about the damn playoff? You just play this. <laughs> you, I mean, if you're going to play this year, let's be here's I don't know. The feeling I've had <laughs> watching the first two weeks is I'm happy that I have football to watch 
college football to watch, but it doesn't feel like real college football season to me to this point. And I feel like I don't really care about the playoff. I feel like there's going to be an asterisk on this thing at the end, no matter what. So if I'm the big 10, my focus probably isn't going to be compete for the national title unless I'm clearly Ryan Day at Ohio State because I'm the only one that has the chance to do that. But if I'm the Big Ten, just thinking of the group as a whole, I just want to make sure I can get in an actual season as much of a legitimate season as I possibly can. And if I'm viable, if I'm op- if I'm an option for the playoff, awesome, great. But to me, that shouldn't be the n- main priority. Because that's the way the Dan Patrick report was framed. We got to get it started by October 17th so that we can have the Big Ten championship game on December 19th. And wonder who Dan's talking to. Because you know, like, <laughs> he's always doing like one source, right? He's not even saying source says. My singular, well-placed source within the Big Ten color, office. What color outfit that person he's talking to usually wears to work. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, though, I do think like I appreciate them selling championship. And if you're at Ohio State, that's why you go there. If you're mm-hmm. at Michigan, you're told that, even though you haven't done it sometimes. <laughs> Same thing at Penn State. But let's be honest. It is – I think it's about two things, really. It's about – and I think a lot of that it trickles down to recruiting. It trickles down to everything. But it is about money, right? You play in a Big Ten championship game. You play in the playoff. It's going to be much more money for you. Um, but I also think, too, maybe it's that they realize the spring isn't a great option. And that's going to start bleeding over to 2021 and it's going to impact two seasons. So I think it could be both. Yes, it's for the championship, but it's for money, but it's also for, hey, we don't want to be playing eight games in the spring because that's put an incredible wear and tear on our players. I don't think any coach in the Big Ten really buys into that. I think they're trying to sell themselves on it, but I don't think they love it. Mm. I will so, say my favorite part of all the reports this weekend about like the momentum of it coming back was the Big Ten has talked to their television partners and their television partners are very are very uh, supportive of the idea. It's like, really? No, I really? can't believe that the TV <laughs> networks are supportive of you guys playing. But meanwhile, Fox has, you know, Arkansas State and Kansas State as big nude Saturday last week. No, I can't believe they'd be interested in you coming back. TV execs are like, oh, hold on a minute, guys. <laughs> what are we doing? Come on, what's the safety of these kids? <laughs> I, I will. I, I'll say this though. Like, I think the, like, yes, like the when 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 Ryan Day released a statement and you know a bunch of quote tweets were like a little snarky about like, oh, like so like this is all about playing for a championship, huh? It's like Ohio State. Ryan Day, those players, like they're allowed for that to be the reason they want to play. Mm-hmm. Like that's not they're allowed. Like Ryan is allowed to say that. He's allowed to think that. He's allowed to want that. Like this is, I, I can't imagine how frustrating it is right now. Like Ryan Day sitting there being like, I have a national championship team teed up right now. I've got a Heisman Trophy quarterback. I've got a sick offensive line. I've got like everything. Like and and season starts rolling around and like they're not there's not gonna play, like that's it's okay for you to be really frustrated by that and for you to want to remedy that and and I don't think that that's um, I'm okay with that like I don't I don't think that's morally uh, indefensible. No, I'm fine with it too. I just think yeah. No, I know all- I know you weren't saying it was. I just I think that there are a lot of people that made that implication when he when he tweeted that that you know Twitter. Twitter yeah, man. stand yeah. for no reason yeah, against gotta, something that doesn't need to be stood against. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. you got to gotta stop getting stirred up by the quote tweets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 
Um, we mentioned Sean Wade. Uh, let's see. So like Wyatt Davis is also declared for the NFL draft recently. So the, the Ohio state picture, if they are to come back potential that they could opt back in, I suppose. But is, is that the, the understanding you think that by seeing this, uh, by seeing this wave of departure, uh, starting to take place that the Buckeyes are, are starting to move forward. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, the good news is Justin Fields is still 100% all in. So as long as that's the case, even if they lose some key guys in the season plays, they've still got a pretty good chance as long as they still got that guy. I just can't imagine being a player at a place like Ohio State, at even Penn State, any, any Big Ten school, and we're frustrated because we cover the sport. Imagine like your whole life has gone into this four-year window to try to, you know, play on that, even if it's not a championship, to play on national television, to play, you know, in front of your friend, your friends and family, to do all the things that you do, the reasons why you play college football and the, the rumors. I mean, like we're interested. Imagine how interested they are and how they get their hopes up and then they're crushed and then their hopes are up and then they're crushed again. It's just it just sucks so bad for these kids, and I hate to see them have to go through it. And that's why I keep going back to like, man, this would be so brutal to have to go through as a player. And I hope they get that reward because I can imagine like the atmosphere in any locker room in the Big Ten if they get to go ahead, like the green light, like the celebration, the woo, like let's go, you know. And just I hope they get that, and I don't I don't think they do, which is just it just just sucks. Oh, I will say from the player's perspective you know earlier you mentioned this year maybe having an asterisk i think that getting that test three times a week i don't know man that's tough like it's you know people say that about the bubble like is is, we've learned that whoever comes out of the nba bubble as the nba champion probably doesn't deserve like an asterisk as much as they deserve like maybe an extra half a title like it's worth a title and a half just from a survival standpoint. It's like whatever team can maintain the best protocols, the healthiest team, the least amount of outbreaks, and somehow make it to the end of the year. Like it's not just football, man. You you're putting it all on the line. I don't even though it's not going to have, even though if we are guessing it might not have Big Ten teams. Whoever ends up as the champion, even if it's a declared champion at the end of this, and we don't even get to play the playoff, those teams that have the best records, I, I think that I will look back on those teams not as second rate in by any means. I don't I, mean second yeah. rate. I yeah. just mean I don't think it's – it's, Yeah, I, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel like a real season. I don't know. Take that how you want. But that's just the feeling I've had when I've watched the first two weeks. Uh, another opt-out we have Texas A&M leading receiver Jamon Osbin. He is going to opt out to get ready for the 2021 NFL draft. This is uh, a disappointing setback for a Texas A&M offense that I think we look at and, you know, there's a, a general high floor feeling about Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher and the staff have recruited really, really well. They're finally on the positive side of the blue chip ratio for the first time in four years. We look at them defensively. We've heard about uh, DeMarvin Leal is going to have a breakout season as a sophomore. We're just all this like good news, but I really can't put my finger specifically outside of Kellen Mond on like who is going to be the difference making wide receivers. And Jamon Osmond was one of the first, like, just because he was the leading returner, he was the one name that I would bring up. Uh, I guess, like, like Barton, who who do you think steps up in that wide receiver room with Osmond opting out? 
the guy that's getting all the the hype is Aeneas Smith, who is a very different receiver than Jamon Osmond. He's you know Jamon Osmond's this like big old thick like. Um, it's good for physical. a quarterback who's not that accurate to just chuck it up to Jamon Osmond. Yeah, yeah, and and Aeneas Smith is more of a you know kind of a running back, all-purpose back, jet sweep slot guy, but he's he's been. He's been really good um, and, and is being sort of billed as someone that's going to be a, a, a central piece of their offense. So that'll be interesting to see how they decide to use him. Um, DeMond Demas is the incoming guy that's a freshman that's didn't play as a senior due to transfer. Um, and so, and he was raw to begin with prior to the transfer. He was playing a small school, but he is a freak of nature athletically. Like a, he is a total specimen. And so, that's the type of guy like you just sort of wonder, all right, well, I mean, they've recruited well, like you said, and does, do these guys step up or do they not? And is there, is there someone that's, that's waiting in the wings or not? Baylor cup, another guy that was, you know, we expected to make a, a big splash was injured all last year. Number one tight in the country two years ago, um, missed all of last season. We thought he's going to emerge this year. He's out for the season as well, uh, with like a, I think a labrum tear. And so, yeah, I mean, like the things things aren't like ideal right now among the pass catchers at A and M. So um, someone's going to need to to step up. They still have Jalen Weidermeyer, who's who's really good at tight end. But um, yeah, I mean, A and M's got to find something. Where y'all at with Texas A and M? I don't. Yeah, I, I kind of Tom. If you had the facial reaction, you could see Tom. Like, yeah, I don't. I'm. I'm kind of along the same lines with you. I mean, I think Bama's going to dominate the West again. But I do think, like, this goes back to when we were talking about win totals from the SEC. Like, this was supposed to be a year when Texas A&M could make that push and. You know, take that next level. It's year three. You've got all these, you know, upperclassmen. You've got your quarterback returning. You know, I was just looking back at Osmond at a couple uh, articles from in the offseason, pre-COVID, of course. But he was like, hey, I'm coming back to win a championship and to increase my draft stock. Well, you know, what what's changed since then? I get a lot has changed since then. The timing of it seems a little bit weird to me. Like you put in all this work in the offseason. You've been training for so long. You're getting so close to the season. And then you just you don't even get the reward, which is playing on game day. I mean, everybody has their own personal issues that they, you know, their personal decision they have to make. But ultimately, I don't think this is a game changer for AM. You know, it's not like Chase, you know, it's not like Jamar Chase leaving at LSU. It's not like a quarterback leaving. It's an impact receiver, but I think they've been recruiting well enough where it's not going to be a devastating loss to A&M's chances uh, this year. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think I feel like is A&M third place or fourth place or fifth place in the SEC West now. And I don't know how much of a gap there's really going to be in those three spots. They might all have the same record. So I, I, I don't know if it's going to have a huge impact on that. I thought I had him kind of like as a dark horse, but certainly this hurts. It's just I don't know how confident I ever really was in the Aggies that they were going to be competing for an SEC West title to begin with. So we mentioned it earlier. Uh, LSU is going to get defensive lineman Neil Farrell back in, opting in uh, for the 2020 season. And this is big because he shows up and now – because Tyler Shelvin opted out also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he immediately uh, is like the best interior defensive lineman in, for 
Bo Pelini's new 4-3 defense. So the do you think that this will be a trend? And also, you know, as you see this within the context of LSU, uh, what kind of uh, encouragement is this for what the Tigers can be defensively? I mean, they need that. You know, they, they needed some. They've been they've been bleeding players for feels like months. So uh, nice to get some some reinforcements there, particularly on the line of scrimmage. Um, but as with all this stuff, so as he so he hadn't been practicing for a couple of weeks, and like uh, you know, it's just sort of this is just going to continue to add to the the issue at hand that most teams are dealing with, which is continuity, cohesion, and like that. That still is like they're still trying to learn a new new defense. They're still inserting a bunch of new players. Um, so yeah, it's good news. Um, but I, I, LSU is still a team that is facing um, pretty pretty like astounding challenges given what it accomplished last year. Yeah, I mean it's it's good news. It, obviously, like you said, Chip, with with the people they've had opt out, getting somebody back helps them. But yeah, I don't know if this is a kind of like the same situation with the eggs. I don't know if this is a game changer. So, because I think like Barton, you just said this is a team that lost so much to begin with, and I feel like you know this is like a, a uh, this is a bad metaphor because I don't think it's this, this drastic, but it's like a sinking ship and just sticking your finger in one of the holes along the side of the ship, thinking that's going to fix it. I, almost the same sentiment when it does remind you of the Aggies. Like, I don't think that LSU was going to be a championship contender, so I haven't really changed my mind on that. To me, I, I just think they have a lot of issues. Bigger picture, is this a trend of guys opting out, opting back in? I don't know, but it does make me wonder how a team can do if you've got guys wavering. You know, and I think it's no coincidence that the teams like Clemson, like Bama, uh, Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma had your running back opt out, so you've had some, you know, change. But the teams with the most buy-in are probably going to be the teams that are in the championship hunt in that top eight spots. But I'm also really concerned. And trust me, when we talk about Florida State, I was very nervous. You know, Sunday scrolling like, oh, are we going to get any opt outs? And I think that's going to be the case for a lot of teams once they're quote eliminated. If we get opt outs because their season is quote done from a championship standpoint. Okay. So this, I wanted to, to throw this in there on the opt in because less than a week ago, Pat Fryermuth announces he's going to skip whatever season they're going to have. He's going to go and take his talents uh, to go get ready for the NFL. All American tight end for Penn state. One of the best tight ends in the country. Then on Monday, We've got a cryptic post to his Instagram story. It's Pat Fryermuth in his full Penn State gear. Is he going to opt back in? <laughs> He's probably saying, we'll see. Like he, should have a, like, <laughs> like he should have, he should have a, a ceremony on HQ to announce his decision to opt back in wavering i mean he's sitting here like sean wade's uh opting out but hey pat fryman's just letting him know if well if y'all do want to play this fall i mean i'll suit up i'll throw on those black shoes let's go <laughs> we'll see i hope it's a trend i hope it's a trend that'd be awesome and it would like if i was a player and i was thinking about hey either spring football or opting out and i was a, and i was a projected first or second round pick I'd be opting out too. Like why? Like, 
I, you go back to what your mindset was in college. If you've been there three years already or four years, you are ready to get out of there. Like it was a great experience. And actually, when I was out of college, I'm sure you guys experienced this too. You kind of miss that. But while you're in it, you're ready for it to be done. You're like, man, let me get out of here. You know, so I think a lot of these guys are in that position. And if it's everything's up in the air and there's no certainty of when you're even going to be playing, yeah, I'm going to bounce. When I was, if, you, if all of a sudden you get peer pressure, hey, we're going, man. We're starting October 17th. Yeah, maybe you will be more likely. Hey, it's a shortened season. I'll still get the same benefits. I could still turn pro after. Yeah, let's go. I'll go back. When I was 18, I wanted to be 21. When I was 21, I wanted to be 25. And when I was 25, I started acting like I was 21. <laughs> I've, you, I've been 60 since i was 15 so. <laughs> do you guys remember um when malik zaire was uh announcing his transfer to florida and how like hype videos like four <laughs> different like there's like four different times that it was announced. Like one time it was broken by a reporter and then another time like he released like an edit and then there was like a hype video two weeks later and like it was just like this constant like, okay, we get it, Malik. Like you've like this has been announced. Like I'm ready for one of these players to just like hold like a weekly Sunday press conference. Be like, I'm either like, like I will be opting in for the game this week or I will be opting out <laughs> for the game this week. <laughs> like, come on. Like, Hey, let's, if, get, the, let's get the Twitter count up. If, if y'all want to do this on the cover three podcast, spread the word. We will let <laughs> college football players who are active opt in and out on a weekly basis on our locks podcast. <laughs> let's go tune in for winners against the spread over unders and whether or not your favorite players are going to be suiting up for the weekend. Oh, we're playing Iowa State this week? Oh, those dudes are wild. I heard about their parties. Like, I'm out this week. <laughs> All right. Coming up on the other side, it's it's time to talk about it. We're going to take a look. We'll be talking about the Knowles next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 16... 13 Georgia Tech goes into Tallahassee. The Doke had uh more fans than I saw in a lot of college football stadiums this uh so far this season. And those fans did not look happy. The the frustration runs so deep. There are a multitude of uh things that you can point to along the way. You know, may, maybe it's the fact that Georgia Tech Georgia Tech had more passing yards than you. 
Georgia Tech had more rushing yards than you. Georgia Tech beat them up in the box score. It was only two missed field goals, excuse me, two blocked field goals. Congratulations to Marvin Wilson blocking two field goals in the same game. And Asante Samuel, two interceptions. I mean, the Georgia Tech on a down-to-down basis played better, but the continuation of troubling trends like blown fourth quarter leads and the inability to get first round, first downs and touchdowns in a game that's close, I mean... You, you could have told me that was the exact same team as 2018 or 2019. Danny, how are you first feeling about this Florida State performance in this squad? And then also, we need you to help translate the most consensus feeling of Null Nation. Frustrated, I think, is a really good uh, word to describe the fans that were there, the fans on social media, the fans that I run into living in the state of Florida. Um There was a real sense of optimism, and I also think there was a real sense of, oh, it's Georgia Tech. They were horrible last year. This is an easy win to get off on the right foot. 10-0 at halftime. You know, you stuck around for the weather delay, which took forever, and you're starting to feel like, okay, things are different around here. And then to see it play out almost identically to 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 the amount of like the exact same way that so many losses did in the Willie Taggart area. Wake uh, Forest, era. UVA, yeah. like I just mean, yeah. line a, them up. A ton of them, a yeah. ton of them. And they're the same issues, whether it's discipline, giving up a big touchdown on on defense, whether it's um, a bad sack at the worst time, an interception at the wrong time, a quarterback scramble at the wrong time, a drop pass at the same. It's just, I, I see a team that's fractured mentally. Like, and I think it spills over even the offseason, the issues they had. There's like a trust issue with the coaches, but I also think there's a trust issue with the players themselves that they've just almost been conditioned to know how to lose and they're playing not to lose. And I just see that as a real, it's a hard spot to be in. And, you know, it's easy for us to sit here or the coach to say, well, or a fan to say, well, just win, just do it, just make those plays. But they, they I see a tentativeness and a, it's just it's a mentally weak team right now. And until they get some wins under their belt, it's gonna be a struggle because when they look up and it's 10 nothing at halftime, they're trying to talk themselves into, okay, we can't let this happen again. This has got to be the day. And if that cloud is hanging over you, you're not going to be successful. And I think the easiest thing to do is is point the finger at the quarterback. And James Blackman did not have a good day, right? Mm-hmm. And he's, a lot of his mistakes were very similar to the mistakes he's made that have cost them games uh, the last couple of years. I like it or not, like I think I love James Blackman. I think he's the, the best option right now, even still. I mean, when Jordan Travis went into the game, you saw it. The coaches aren't comfortable with him throwing the ball. All he did was run the ball. Like it was a run package that he was asked to run. And until you have a freshman that's ready to step up and Hubbard's hurt, uh, or excuse me, um, Purdy is hurt, like he's he's not an option. So I think they're kind of stuck with James Blackman, and I want him to turn it around so bad. But I just think this is a team that's mentally fractured right now, and that's the only way to, that I can describe it. It's not good. I no. mean, it's I, I was we we talked about this a little bit on Saturday. I I was very. When they first hired Norvell, I, I was aware of the problems that Florida State had. But for some reason in the last few weeks, I allowed myself with the season getting closer to kind of get caught up in the, you know what? 
Norvell's a really good coach. It's still a very talented roster. I mean, I Maybe think they're this- probably the fifth best team in the ACC. Let's put them fifth <laughs> in the ACC preseason power rankings. Come on. But it's like I started talking to myself, and you know what? This this might go quicker than I thought. But then it's like Saturday was an excellent reminder that, no, wait, there are still a lot of problems that this team and this roster needs to address before we can really expect it. So, yeah, it's it's going to take time. I still think Norvell's obviously it's it's. I, th- I think he was a great hire. I still have a lot of faith in him being able to do it. It's just I don't know if this year is going to be very much fun for the Seminoles based on what we saw on Saturday. Danny, how many years running now have you been appointed the uh, Seminoles uh, apologist or like the <laughs> Seminole, like 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 Pulse of the Seminoles from Danny Cannell? Like, because it's been... It's been kind of a minute now. They've had to have their pulse checked a lot. <laughs> it's been awful. And I I feel like I've tried to hold the fan base together. Like, hey, don't and even like yesterday, I did it early in the Willie Taggart. After three games, I got a call from some of the higher up decision makers. After three games, they were like, Do you think we made a mistake? I was like, We're really doing this after three games? You guys don't I was like, that is not a good sign. I don't want to have to get the same call with Mike Norvell. I don't think you will. I just think it's a deep-rooted problem. But then at the same time, when you watch that game and they are up 10 nothing, and there are plays to be made, they still could have won that game. And they still should have won that game. Like, they had every reason to win that game. Instead, they find a way to lose it. And that's just been their MO. Like, that's been what the Seminoles have been the last three, four, five years. And it's, 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 it is embarrassing at times. But I do still think the talent is there. Like, I think it's easy to look at the roster and say – man, they've got some playmakers. They've got a Marvin Wilson. They've got a Tamari and Terry. They've got playmakers on this. It's just the quarterback is struggling. Until he plays better, it's going to be a really long uphill battle until they find somebody that plays better. The offensive line, I do think, is better. The center played really well. Um, you know, So they've got, they've got pieces there. They just have to pull it together. Maybe I sound like I'm just hopeful, hope, way too hopeful and optimistic. Um, you know, I, Coming into the season, I thought six and four. Like I thought six right. and four was a reasonable ask. That's still on the table. So let's see what happens. They weren't a better team than Georgia Tech, though. Like they could have won. They maybe you could argue they should have won based on like where how the game like sort of played out towards the end. But like I think Georgia Tech was clearly the better team on that day. Um, and so I think for me, like we just. I, I'm with you, Tom. Like I was sitting there as the season progressed, and we always do it because it's Florida State, yes. and because they recruit good players. And you look at their roster, and you're like, oh, like look, they got, look at this guy, they got that guy, they got this guy. Like they're probably like, why can't they be really good this year? But I think it goes back to just sort of the the cultural sounds like they're bad kids. Like it's just it's not uh, it's just the but the cultural issues there. It's mm-hmm. it's just like you got to fix losing, like you got to fix mediocrity, like you got to you got to address the mediocrity that's been in that program for too long. And uh, I think that that was a little splash of cold water in the Florida State optimist face, like to say, all right, like forget about the player, I forget about all that. Like there is like systemic mediocrity here that is not going to take one week to fix. And so um, I, I, that was that was definitely eye opening to me because as you guys know. I got, I got caught up in the heat of the moment and that's kickoff approach. And I saw a half 25% full stadium went ahead and threw a little money on that Florida state minus two scores and pretty quick. As did I, I was right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to talk me into much. I, last thing for me, 
I think it was a, a real stark reminder in the differences in Georgia Tech. Jeff Collins, year two. Mike Norvell, year a half. Ooh. Like he had, didn't have a full spring, didn't have a real, tr- you know, real true camp. Like it's been different. And I think that's one thing we all kind of agreed on. Continuity is going to matter, right? Coach, quarterback, you get the returners. It's going to matter. And I think that really, I think that was one of the big reasons why Florida State struggled too. They're not comfortable yet in their, on either side of the ball in their systems. It is fascinating. Like they have three national championships, right? Mm-hmm. Like phenomenal programs only have one. Wisconsin has zero. And the fact that we could be talking about sort of the, the culture, they, how fa- Florida State won 29 straight games from 2012 to 2014, 29 in a row. And less than a decade later, this is where we find the program. Like it is, it's almost a, like to study college football from the historical perspective, it almost needs like a scientific case study, right? Like we almost got to go back and talk to the Jimbo's assistants that were allegedly pulled off the road near the end of that season. Like we, we got to figure out like where this all twisted and started to go wrong because it is, it is, uh, it is wild that not just that a program with that much national championship winning history could find itself in a place where the culture of winning it's, is what's missing, but also the fact that it could happen so quickly, like just five or six years later. I don't get it. I don't do you, not get it. Don't you don't you think it is just the nature of college football? It's and this is that when you're watching a program like Bama have this dynasty, when you're watching the longevity, you know, start to creep up and approach the time frame that we had at Florida State or even Clemson, what Dabo is building. But if you go look at Miami, had five championships. The Miami Hurricanes have been in a place where they're pretty similar to where Florida State yeah. has is right now. You know, Texas was is in a place or was in a place. They look like they're trending up. And that's where I think we had this conversation last week. Like, I don't want to get into that. Are they back every single year? And it becomes a mockery because it's just, oh, you get your hopes up, just like we did going to the game. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, yeah, they're still not back. It's not even close. And yet I do feel like it's the cycle of college football. You know, Nebraska was the team in the 90s. You know, I mean, we used to play against them every time for a national championship. Then they have their rough patch. It's just, it's hard to predict and it's hard to see it coming. And it sucks when you're in the middle of it. <laughs> mm. All right. So uh, we, d- we are not, not going to do the f- a full ranking the games. Uh, number one, it is a little bit of a lighter slate. Number two, also wanted to dig into some of these other topics, but I do want to make uh, at least a portion of our Monday discussions at some point during the show just to go ahead and get listeners a little bit tuned up. Like maybe you got an early line you like, maybe you got an early game, an early storyline, something that you want to uh, start sniffing around, start creeping on. So uh, we each, you know, either one game or a storyline or a betting line, you know, just one one aspect that you're going to go ahead and start looking at for the upcoming week. Uh, who, who wants to go first? I'll go. Okay. Cause we got, we got a problem already for me right off the bat here. Okay. I've talked on this show since last week about how the thing we have to do this year when it comes to betting is we can't be taking anything early. We need to wait because we don't know. That got tested really quickly because on Sunday night, the lines started coming out and there was Southern Miss at home 
is a five-point favorite over Louisiana Tech. The same Southern Miss that got absolutely smashed by South Alabama and was so poor that the coach resigned or slashed was fired was now a week later a home favorite of nearly a touchdown against a Louisiana Tech team that sure hasn't played yet but was a pretty good team last year. And I was just sitting there doing, took all my willpower not to smash Louisiana Tech in the points. I haven't done it. I'm doing my best to wait, but... Ten-win team last year. Ten-win team. It's it's hard. Hold it out. The Southern Miss has played. Yeah. Did they, though? <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't recall much playing in that game as much as just watching South Alabama throw deep on them. I, I've um, <clears throat> one of the these like uh, pro gambler guys that I follow is Brad Powers. And he's been he's been tweeting out some um, like matchup um, differences in terms of spring practice versus like, like a lot of spring practice versus limited spring practice. And it's been pretty uh, predictive in terms of against the spread mm. and, and, and value. And because I, because obviously the theory being that look like everyone is just starved for any time on the field right now. Like if, if everyone has been denied this opportunity to be on the field. And so if you got some spring practice in, you know, if you got 15 practices in like Coastal Carolina did and you got playing a team that got none like Kansas did, you might spank them and they kind of spanked them. And so that's going to be a cross check of mine for any of my locks on Thursday is just, all right, let me see who's played already this season and who has who had spring practice and who didn't because uh, I think that stuff adds up. Number of spring practices minus Y divided by the point spread. I mean, just throw it in a spreadsheet, baby. We can find some value right there. Look for it. Uh, Danny, do what's yours? So I've got the Central Florida Georgia Tech game. UCF is a touchdown favorite in Atlanta versus Georgia Tech. Now, this game to me is fascinating for a bunch of reasons. One, I think it'll gauge like if 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 Georgia Tech gets run by there's, UCF, then yeah, there's Florida like, State implications to here too. Absolutely, yeah. So I want to see maybe Georgia Tech is much improved, and that that would be awesome. But I'm also watching this game from the perspective from the group of five. I know it's a conversation that's been you know a lot of people are having. Hey, with the Big Ten and Pac-12 as of right now not playing, three Power Five conferences, does it open the door? I don't think it does, but there is this growing notion especially with the Sunbelt success this past weekend. Like, hey, maybe the gap isn't that big. And UCF, who has been leading the charge, including their, you know, claiming a co-championship in 2017, if UCF goes out there and runs Georgia Tech out and does play impressively versus uh, versus them, does that make the case even stronger for a group of five team? And I would say that UCF might be in the driver's seat along with Cincinnati you know, along with a team like a Memphis. But if they run the table and have an impressive win against Georgia Tech, I, I just think it's there's a lot of dynamics that I'm looking forward to this game for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of transitive property at stake. Hell here. yes. <laughs> because there's only going to be so many crossovers. And so if Florida State could beat somebody somewhere along the way, and if UCF can beat uh, Georgia Tech, then... And, you know, Arkansas State, by the way, like they got rolled by Memphis and Arkansas State looked better than Kansas State. And Kansas State may trip somebody up in the Big 12 somewhere along the way. And, you know, we could be like, hey, there's only so many opportunities 
to to present a transitive property resume. This this one's a big transitive property game. I'm with you. So I, I got I that game. Go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say, I can't wait until we get to all these transitive property arguments later in the year, because maybe then this will feel like a real season to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my game too. I, I go into it and I do believe that uh, like Dylan Gabriel, given what he did last year during his freshman season. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to probably go like quarterback edge over Jeff Sims, but I'm not a hundred percent positive that. And again, Florida state has its own offensive issues, but man, I do feel like that Georgia Tech defense after halftime and after the delay was getting after it. Again, and Jeff Collins being a defensive coach, I I don't know exactly how that matchup's going to go, but I do think that as Jeff Sims takes on the UCF defense, we are doing a major step down in terms of the Florida State defense to the UCF defense. I think that that game has potential to be all kinds of fireworks and we haven't seen like I'm, i mean i'm just i am smitten i'm overreacting on our true freshman georgia tech quarterback right now and this newfound passing attack i want to see jeff sims and dylan gabriel go light up the scoreboard and just have this thing be like a 35 31 shootout what if uh they can't score on ucf Transitive proper, <laughs> transitive property speaking. <laughs> what does that tell us about Florida State's defense? Because we've like we've talked about this before too. Like there's some week one games where I've walked out of there and be like, oh man, did you see that defense? <laughs> and then as the season progresses, I realize like it wasn't the defense, it was the offense. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, also, you know the your seven thirty game is. It, I mean, it is. Like I much, much respect to, uh, you know, we, we're always interested in our, in Sunbelt, the official conference of the Cover 3 podcast. But I mean, do you guys know what the 330 big ESPN game is? No. It's Georgia Southern FAU. <laughs> That's where we're at right now. <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, talking about early lines, FAU only a five and a half point favorite against the Georgia Southern team that was without 33 players on Saturday and barely got by Campbell. Should note, but uh, the, the ABC game is very interesting because it is Miami and Louisville. So uh, that that's, that is a legitimately fascinating game. It's going to be, in Louisville and in Cardinal Stadium, the artist formerly known as, I guess we can call it like Shaq Stadium now instead of Papa John's. <laughs> Shaq's the new face of Papa John, the, uh, the whatever the, the big pizza is, big old pizza stadium. But that, that game is going to be something where Derek King and that rushing offense potentially is facing a defense that is a step down from UAB, at least in terms of how formidable they are. And then on the other side, uh, you've got a much, much more potent offense for Miami's defense, which we gave some flowers to after the UAB game. So Miami, Louisville, both teams that I think are in that tier below with North Carolina, below Notre Dame, we, we get to see them face off against each other. That one should be fascinating. For those tracking the line movement, the Cardinals are two-and-a-half-point home favorites. Uh, anything else sort of on y'all's radar buzzing around right now? The Pac-12 is apparently having its most aggressive plan is calling for mid to late November. So, man, how bizarre. So they're probably, what does that mean? They're going to start in December? 
you know, December start date, just like play through Christmas. That's so I weird. mean, half the conference is on fire right now, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. They really should. I know Larry Scott pitched this, and I don't think it'll happen. They really should join up with the Big Ten and try to get on the same page, do their own pseudo-Rose Bowl championship. You can even claim, like, hey, if, if, if UCF claims a championship in 27, claim your national championship, sell it to your players. We're still going to play for a title. I don't think it'll happen, but that probably is the thing that makes the most sense. But I don't think the Pac-12 – I think the Big Ten uh, w- won't be willing to wait that long. Because I, I, I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe this is, we'll find out some more about this vote. Keep it locked in here to the Cover 3 podcast. If uh, we do get any sorts of uh, formal or at least reputable reporting with any date – how about that? We, do we need to see a date – do we need to see a, a date before we hit the emergency podcast siren? I yes. need to see a president say they've changed their mind. Well, you won't see that. You'll just see you'll just see the official Big Ten release. Then the presidents will disappear. You know, mm-hmm. they'll right. just they'll do the the Homer back into the shrubs as soon as this thing starts. <laughs> they hit all the texts on do not disturb and just kind of like go away for a while. Um, so we'll we're going to keep our eyes on it. And we'll, of course, we'll be reacting if we do get anything the rest of the week we're on pins and needles waiting to see if we can get any kind of formal answer. He is Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. Follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.